You're listening to the Running Around Charlotte podcast presented by the Novant Health Charlotte Marathon. One day, five events with a race day distance for every goal and pace. Find out more or register at runcharlotte.com. This week's episode is brought to you by Pinnacle Financial Partners and Ally. They may not be able to help you hit your mile splits, but Ally can help you plan for the future. Explore all the ways you can map out your financial goals with Ally at ally.com. Ally, a proud sponsor of the Novant Health Charlotte Marathon and athletes everywhere. Now, here are your hosts for the Running Around Charlotte podcast, Tim Rhodes and DC Lucchese. Running is a lot of things to a lot of people. It's a way to get and stay fit. It's a way to unwind or get fired up. It's a way to get some alone time or it's a way to be around old friends and make new friends. Running is a way to connect with people and make a difference in many different ways. Ayumi Nagano is one of those people who seems to use running for all that and it can be. Ayumi Nagano is one of those people who seems to use running for all that it can be. She's a mom, a runner, a coach, and an activist. The kind of person you'd absolutely want in your corner. We're excited she slowed down long enough to join us this on this week's episode of the Running Around Charlotte podcast. Ayumi, how you doing today? I'm doing awesome. We have some beautiful, uh, dry summer weather today. <laughs> <laughs> How are you both? Well, we're we're doing good. It's uh, it's a little humid out of my end of town, but uh, because you haven't turned the air on in this building yet, so (laughs) (laughs) that too. So, tell us a little bit about yourself, your journey, your running, how you got to Charlotte. Uh, Pre pre uh, pre show, you you mentioned you've been here for a couple years with your family. Uh, Tell us about yourself. Uh, So, I was born in Japan, raised in New York. Um, I really. How did I get introduced to running? So I wasn't able to play sports throughout my childhood because in New York, we have a lot of different kind of Saturday schools for different cultures and backgrounds. Um, So when I was about from 5 to 12, I went to Japanese school every Saturday uh, in Queens. And um, that kind of prohibited me from being able to ever play many sports because most sports, especially for kids, have games and practices on Saturdays. Um, and for me, that was just such a, a quote unquote American thing, you know, and I just wanted to kind of be one with the crowd at the time. Um, so I really wanted to play sports all throughout my childhood. And then my mom finally asked me, you know, do you want to continue Japanese school or do you want to try and play some sports? And at the time I was like, uh, that's a no brainer. I want to play sports. I've been wanting to play sports for like seven years. Um, and, uh, and I had no idea which one. Um, so I literally tried out for all of them, like basketball, wow. soccer, right um, every single sport that they had for the girls teams. Um, and I remember on the school bus ride to middle school, one of my girlfriends sat down on the bus next to me and goes, do you want to try out for the cross country team with me? And I had no idea what it was. And I was like, sure, that's not cool. Yeah, it's a sport, <laughs> like, right? Having no idea what I was about to do. Yeah, exactly. I was like, oh, it's a sport. Sure. Okay, cool. I'll try it out. Um, and it hurt a lot because it was the hardest I'd ever really worked out in my entire life. Um, but the sport was kind of like if you keep coming back after being sore from head to toe and being really uncomfortable, you're on the team. Um, and so that was kind of yeah. how my running journey started when I was 12. And then from that point on, um, I did 
winter track and spring track all throughout high school. Um, I was the captain of my winter track team. I had both positive and negative experiences with my coaches. And um, unfortunately, my high school cross country and spring track coach was the same person. Um, and we bumped heads a lot. We did not get very along very well. He was really hard on me. And I think it was his style of trying to push me. Oh, whiplash but, style, um, right? He kind of just pushed me a little bit over the edge. Right. And um, so after I graduated high school, I it put me off from running completely. And I would not do any speed workouts. I did not run any races after high school. I just kind of – and I didn't realize how much it affected me. So I kind of just put it on the back burner. And then kind of speed forward, um, I uh, became a teacher in Brooklyn, in New York. I was offered the head coaching position at a Brooklyn high school. And when you watch the kids work as hard as they do in New York City, it is tremendous. Because they are dealing with sometimes one hour, one and a half hour commutes one way to school from like Queens to Brooklyn, for example, or like the Bronx to Brooklyn. Um, And then they go to school and then they train for about an hour to an hour and a half. And then they have to ride the train an hour to an hour and a half home. And then they get work done. And then they do that again the next day. Mm. Um, And uh, our main race course was in Van Cortland, which is actually a nationally known uh, course. It's really hard. Um, but it's at the last stop in the Bronx. takes about two hours to two and a half hours on a weekend to get there. Um, but the kids just do it. They wake up at 4 or 5 in the morning. They do not complain. They just get on the train. They fall asleep on the train, go walk the half mile from the subway stop to the, to the race course. Um, and then they're there for like six, seven hours because they want to hang out. They race. They cheer each other on. And then take another two-hour subway ride home. So when you watch these kids grind daily in and out all day, all year even. Um, it was just really inspiring and kind of was like, you know what, maybe I uh, let me try. And I was running alongside them to mm-hmm. kind of push them because we were a brand new team. When I took them over, we were only in our second year as a cross-country team. So we had seven girls and maybe about 15, 16 boys. So we just kind of pushed them. Um, my co-coach and I, we kind of ran alongside them and I coached them for about seven years and we were able to grow that program. Um, We qualified for state championships. My girls team did qualified for state championships. We had multiple state qualifiers on the boys team as well. Um, And honestly, coaching them helped me fall back in love with running. That was a really long-winded answer. No, that's great. (laughs) Seriously, that was my journey. journey. (laughs) I couldn't get past a couple of things when you were talking about that, one of which was, you know, the the idea of of that long of a commute. I did that, something similar to that when my wife was in law school. I had an hour and a half back and forth each way to work, and it was like, oh, my God. But at least you knew the light was at the end of the tunnel. But I guess if you grow up that way and you don't know any different, you're like, what the heck? But to... But to rubes like me and Tim, right. you know, we're like, no way, man. That is crazy. And the other yeah. thing I got to ask you about is, for, yeah. is Japanese school like Greek school in my big fat Greek wedding? Um, It's not in my head as fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was tough. It was, it was, it was like math. So I, one thing I will say is because I got taught math and Japan is like a year ahead of math. Like each grade level is just a slightly a year ahead. So I was really strong in math until I stopped Japanese school. <laughs> after, that, I, after that, I sucked. Um, but because I was always a year ahead, I was really strong in math. Gotcha. Um, 
But learning the characters is really hard because you don't get to practice. Like when, you know, in, if you live in Japan, the characters are everywhere. So it's, you know, it becomes more of like a nice muscle memory. Whereas here, it's like the only time you ever get to read or learn the characters is if you're actually physically reading a Japanese sure. book, gotcha. which was very rare. Um, and there's about 5,000 characters to learn, wow. which sounds difficult. But I mean, in, in uh, yes, China, like Mandarin is 10,000. No, I'm good. Um, so that's significantly more difficult. <laughs> wow. But yeah, it was it was tough. I mean, it wasn't very fun. You know, you, you don't get to watch like the Saturday morning cartoons. You don't get to sleep in. You get double the homework because they give you a week's worth of homework at the oh, end of that day. That's great. Um, so you have to like, get home from school, do your American homework, and then do your Japanese homework, and then maybe you get to play. Yeah, I, I so can see how was, the 12-year-olds would be like, no, we're good. We're going to do something else. Yeah. <laughs> I'll play sports. Sure. Yeah. Sounds great. Running? Yeah. Sure. Running sounds great. That they, she, like, she like, right, right. Running or more school? I'll just sure. run. It'll run. be uncomfortable. <laughs> It'll be painful, but I'll do it because not as painful yeah. as more school. Right. I, I'm but always I interested. My mom did it. Uh, yeah. My mom and my dad kind of put us through it. I'm fluent now, so that's cool. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, and I, I was going to ask about that. I, I'm always interested in people who have different cultural backgrounds and upbringings. And you said you were born in Japan. I would imagine growing up in a household with parents who are probably first generation migrants to the U.S., you spoke it and that was how you kept up with the Japanese language. And it, like, how culturally are you tuned into um, that? Or have you kind of become more Americanized and it's, you know, the foods you eat and how and how often you speak the Japanese language, things like that. Like, where are you with all that? And then for your kids too, like, are you passing that down to them? So uh, that's a great question. So I did live in Japan for five years in my 20s. I, um, that's how I started teaching. I taught as an English teacher there, English as a second language, in mm. both the private English corporate schools for two years and then in the public schools for three. Um, so that allowed me to get to know my family better because before that I had only met them about two or three times. Um, so I got to kind of see them more regularly, get to know my culture a lot better and just become fluent as well. Um, I only really speak it with my parents. Um, my partner, Alan, he also taught English there. That's where we met. So he can actually understand Japanese. He can't speak it as well, but it's really nice to see him interact with my parents because he interacts with them the way that I did when I was little, where I would speak to them in English. They would respond in Japanese. And so he'll speak to them in English. They'll respond in Japanese but they could understand what each other are saying, oh, yeah. which is that's really cool. funny. Yeah. Um, so that's really nice. That's very helpful. Um, yeah. And when it comes to like food, I would say it's about 50, 50, 50%, wow, maybe like 75, 75% of the time I'm cooking my kids Japanese food. And then maybe the 25% is typically like a really easy pasta. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and like maybe mashed potatoes, well not mashed potatoes because they won't eat mashed potatoes, but like a really easy pasta, <laughs> pork chops, like, some basic American style food, but most of it is uh, Japanese food. Um, when my son was born, we were in New York, so I was speaking to my parents more, so then I was speaking to him more in Japanese, so at the time he was more attuned to like Japanese speaking for me, but then once I moved away from my parents here, I kind of didn't speak as much Japanese to them. And so we're still debating, like, do we want to send them to the, because uh, Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools has an immersion school for Japanese yeah. kids yeah. too. Mm -hmm. 
So we're like, oh, maybe we might send them to an immersion school, but we really like our neighborhood school too. So that's still kind of up in the air. We definitely plan to take them on like a family trip there when they're older sure. so that they understand like what Japan is as a country and what it is to be half Japanese and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. you, you mentioned your neighborhood. You are uh, a Highland Creek residence, a resident, right? Yeah. And so that's yes. for, for those who don't know, um, up kind of in the university city area, um, very large neighborhood golf course community, um, <clears throat> three and a half miles from the front to the back. Great place to cycle if you're looking, <laughs> if you're looking for a place with hills. Um, but anyway, you, it, there's a running club up there, right? And, and you're involved in that. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So when I first came here, um, I had no friends. Um, and running is such a huge part of my life. And I was looking for a run club that supported my, my schedule and evenings are really tough with babies. I have a, oh, yeah. at the time, a one and a three-year-old now, a two, now and two and four. And you know, that nighttime routine is just so important and so crucial for them. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't really be out and about, um, running at night, but most of the run clubs meet right at their dinner time, like six thirty, seven PM, five, like. Yeah, like 6, 6.30, 7, 7.30 p.m. So I couldn't really go to any of those run clubs. Um, and plus, a lot of them are pretty far from Highland Creek. And so there was nothing really very local. So I just decided to start one. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I was it. like, I want to meet people. I want to meet people. But I, I'm a morning person. I love waking up earlier. It's also the heat down here is brutal. Um, like nothing I've ever really experienced and, um, the heat seems to linger in the evening. So I just, I like how much cooler it is in the morning. Um, so yeah, so I was, so I, I'm a teacher. Um, I taught quantitative research, I taught math, I taught AP computer science. So when I think about data, I was like, all right, well, how do I get the information and how do I get information? I kind of started just posting a Google form everywhere on Instagram and like started tagging people on Nextdoor, on Facebook. Um, just trying to find anyone in the area, just saying, hey, I'm thinking about starting a run crew. If you want information about it, fill out this Google form. I got about 50 people to fill it out, and then 20 people showed up on the first day for the quick intro. Um, and then at first, I only had two women uh, running with me at like 5 in the morning. Well, there you go. <laughs> um, and I'm so thankful for that. And they were consistent. Um, Kristen and Lauren were consistent, and they kept showing up. Um, but at first, because it was just the three women, like working out pretty much throughout the dark in the, in the early mornings, um, we had to really keep our location private just for safety reasons. So I wouldn't post really like where we were meeting up. And um, for good reason, of course. And, and it wasn't until recently where there's a more consistent attendance and the, just a larger group of us. Um, that meetup where I'm like, okay, I feel like now it's starting to feel a little safer to actually publicly post uh, when we're meeting. Because there have been times where I showed up and nobody came, nobody arrived. And that can get dangerous if, sure, yeah. you know, I'm public, I'm publishing like our meetup meet locations, yeah, publicly. So, um, so yeah, but now we're, we're growing um, and it's been an awesome way to just meet people and kind of connect with others um, through the sort of common hobby of ours and our, our passion and it's been really fun and i and i've loved the entire experience so far i got a uh the safety bit for you here you should go ahead and say attack dogs welcome 
It doesn't have to be true, but just... <laughs> <laughs> It doesn't be true, but take a picture with some really big dogs, and then people are like, I probably shouldn't be screwing them with them. So, <laughs> I got one you can borrow. So, we'll so you like are in there by the track. Actually, I wouldn't <laughs> mind running with the dog. <laughs> there you go. Sounds like you need a dog then. There you go. <laughs> you are involved in Run for All Women. Tell, tell us a little bit about that. I'm kind of interested in learning. Oh, Run for All Women. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, so they were founded by Alison Desir, who is now the author of uh, Running While Black. Um, and the way that it started was three days before the first women's march. Um, a small group of women, three women, decided to run from Harlem to D.C. over the course of three days. And it got a lot of media attention and um, gained a lot of traction um, towards their cause. So they ran over the course of three days. They got people volunteering to run alongside them on the parkways, um, providing housing and food and a shower all along the route, which was incredible. And they arrived to DC on the day of the Women's March. And that was how the group was founded. Um, and from that point on today, I was, I guess, selected as an ambassador their second year. And from that point on, we've been doing sort of, um, I don't want to say sort of, but we've been doing a lot of social justice work, um, raising money for Black Voters Matter. I think at this point, because we've worked with them for so many years, we've probably raised anywhere from three hundred dollars to $400,000 for them as an organization. Um, That's awesome. And we did the, our major campaigns where women run the vote, just to kind of push people to get out and vote because that is they're the best way to exercise their rights as citizens. Mm -hmm. um, and so we just try and promote people going out to vote. I still kind of promote that. Uh, right now we're a little bit on a break because last year's campaign was really a hard work, a lot of, a lot of hard work and a lot of pushing uh, because just sort of the virtual mm -hmm. runs are kind of losing their steam. Yeah. Um, but we did run as a group of about 13 of us. We ran 260 miles along the Alabama belt, which is uh, considered one of the uh, poorest areas in the entire country. And um, we kind of just ran through that route and met a lot of locals along the way and like, handed out free bandanas, giving out information about voting. Uh, we got some media attention for that and was able to raise about 23,000 just in that campaign last year for that for Black Voters Matter. Um, and right now, it just because we're as a group sort of taking a break from our activism, we as individuals try and build community just in our more local areas, mm -hmm. um, which has been so much fun for me uh, because I've been able to kind of grow and focus my energy on Highland Creek Run Crew and sort of make connections in the Charlotte area. I love it. Well, so, that's great. So how does one get involved with your super clandestine Highland Creek Run Crew? Um, they could just follow our Instagram page. They can join the Facebook group uh, there. It is private. So they do just need to answer the question and some people sure. won't answer it. It's one question. Uh, <laughs> so if they don't answer wow. the question, I will direct message them yeah. and say, Hey, you know, we just want to know, do you live in the area? Why do you want to join us? Um, and that is again, just to, sure, yeah. you know, repeat it. It is just for safety mm -hmm. reasons, right? It's you, just for safety. You can reasons. join the club. Um, you just can't know where so they start the train. Is that right? You can join the club. You just right. don't know where to start the train, the training run. It's a secret. Right. Exactly. So with Instagram, you can follow us. You could see that we're meeting up. Yeah. Uh, 
But if it's in the early mornings, we don't really publicly announce where we're meeting up. But once you're in the Facebook group, because that is private and you have to mm-hmm. get approved, yeah. you will get all the details once you're in that group. All right. Yeah. Got to love it. Seriously. And and that's super cool that you do it the way you do it. And I think that's smart, even though uh, some people may go, oh, it's kind of, you know, putting a hoop in front of me. But if anybody thinks about it, they'll be like, yeah, that totally makes sense. Smart. And I'm excited for for you and the group. And I'm excited for folks who live up there, have have an outlet they don't know about it yet. Hopefully they'll hear more about it and make your group bigger and safer to run with. All the way around. Yeah, we're pumped. We are planning for a, a, uh, I guess it's returning from the pandemic, but we are organizing the first ever Highland Creek Run Crew uh, 5K with the Highland Creek Activities Board. Nice. And that will be it. Yeah, yeah. We're really excited about that. Um, There have been a lot of, there's been a lot of support and a lot of volunteers along with that. I'm not doing it by myself because I was like, I'm not, I'm definitely not planning this by myself. (laughs) And when is it? When is is Uh, that? It's going to be Saturday, March 9th. Oh, wow. So we got a little bit of time. Got a little bit of time. Yeah. it's So, all right. Super cool. Yes. Saturday, March 9th. Right. Uh, right now we are on the lookout for sponsors. So if anyone wants to come through and help out and sponsor, we will be, of course, reaching out to local businesses. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, it should be a really good time. We have a 350 person cap. Uh, the course has some decent hills. In Highland Creek, you cannot avoid hills. Uh, so um. it'll be great training for around the crown for anybody. Uh, so it's going to be an awesome time, really good energy, really good people, and a really good way to get to know others in the community. That sounds awesome. That sounds awesome. All right. Well, All right, Ayumi. Thank you so much for taking the time today. We're, again, we're excited to have you on the show and appreciate you uh, doing what you're doing up there for the folks in Highland Creek. And, you know, the drill, Tim, you know, like, follow, keep on listening. And that's right. We're happy to have everybody have, happy to have you both listening to this episode of the Running Around Charlotte podcast. Thank you, Ayumi. Appreciate you, friend. All right. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. The Running Around Charlotte podcast is presented by the Novon Health Charlotte Marathon and our partners at Pinnacle Financial and U.S. Bank. Running Around Charlotte is produced in partnership with Well Run Media and Marketing. New episodes are available every week, anywhere you listen to podcasts.